You're listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast in Kingsport, Tennessee. We are a community committed to prayer, radical hospitality, and intentional invitation. Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Jeremiah, the prophet from the Old Testament. Hear now God's words for you. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, and give your daughters into marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every generation has a foundational event or two, something that happens, and as a result, we will never experience the world again in the same way. It's probably not the same event for every person or every generation, and sometimes it might even be multiple events, but all of us have had this experience. We experience an event or a period of time, and it completely changes our perception of the world. You could call it a rude awakening, a end of innocence, or simply having to grow up really fast. So we're going to do something different this morning. I am honest to goodness going to ask you to talk to each other. So we're just going to do this for a few minutes. I'm going to ask you to divide into groups of three to five with people immediately around you. And we're just going to talk about something for a few minutes. It's okay. It's just words. They're human beings. They want to hear your voice. So you're going to do that. And this is what you're going to talk about. You're going to answer the question, what was the defining event or experience for you or your generation that changed the way you saw the world? Could be a good thing, could be a bad thing, could be subtle, could be huge, but that's what we're going to do. So I see a lot of you are are timid, that's okay. Um, You're going to loosen up, it's fine. So go ahead, go ahead and start finding those people you're going to talk to. I'm going to say the question one more time, and then I'm going to give you a few minutes to talk about it. So, let's hear some of these events. What do you have? Anyone be willing to share what you discussed in your group? What were some of these defining events? Okay, 9-11. So, if you're particularly a younger individual, that one is probably going to be it. The big one, it certainly affects all of us. What else? What are some other ones? Death of John Kennedy. Okay. (laughs) Hey, this is not a chance to score uh, cheap points in your marriage. This is serious sermon, folks. Good job, Ed. Well done. (laughs) What else? The moon landing, 69. Yep. 
<laughs> Having a kid, that's a big one. <laughs> yep. The internet. As we were told by some of our congressmen, it's a series of tubes. That's right. Dwight. The Beatles on Ed Sullivan. All right. I heard something here. Oh, Columbine. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. The Second World War. Okay. Anybody going to say the inventing of the printing press? No, no one. Just kidding. That was cheap. That was cheap. All right. Dale Earnhardt, death of Dale Earnhardt. Yeah, that's a big one. What else? Okay. So the the end of Vietnam and that sort of era as well. Yeah. Arnold Palmer, popularizing golf, inventing the world's greatest drink. <laughs> Any other significant cultural events? Yeah, yeah, we are living through one right now, aren't we? Yeah. Yep, the election of a first African-American president. Those are all big events. Absolutely. So if we were to look in biblical history at big cultural divining events, what we're looking at here is really on, on the scale of something like the Kennedy assassination, World War II. Something that is all-encompassing, life-altering, very much like 9-11. It happens, boom. The world will never be the same. Because about 600 years before the birth of Jesus, Israel was attacked by Babylon. And it began with Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonians. He attacked Jerusalem. And at some point, the Jews just said, you know what, we'll buy you off. We're going to pay you. Stay away. That was very common back then. If you paid us, we'd stay away. Kind of like the mob shaking someone down for protection. But later, about four years after that initial attack, the king of Israel decided, or actually the king of Judah decided, I'm not going to pay this. And so Nebuchadnezzar attacked Jerusalem, laid siege to it, siege to it and over about a 12-year period, it was attacked, burnt down, the temple was destroyed, and all the Jews in Jerusalem shipped off to Babylon as exiles. The nation was torn apart. Their capital city was laid to waste. So you can imagine, they would question their status with this God that said, I'm going to give you a promised land. This is your land. I've set this up for you for generations and generations, and all of a sudden it was destroyed and they were taken from it. And now they were forced to live in this strange land with all these strange gods and altars and temples around them. They were forced to live under a nation that did not respect their religion. So it was generation-defining. It was life-altering. It was traumatic. So a lot of the things we mentioned, some of them good, some of them sort of neutral, and some of them obviously shocking or traumatic. And this would have definitely been in the traumatic one. If you want to hear an unfiltered opinion about what ancient Jews thought of Babylonians during this time, open your Bible and look at Psalm 137. I'm not going to read it here, because it's a little shocking, Um, but I encourage you, go home today, read Psalm 137. And those of you who participate in small groups, you're actually going to read this as part of your small group study. 
It's not the typical psalm that, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name, I'll praise you with cymbals and the banging of a gong. It's not one of those beautiful psalms. It's actually quite macabre. Go and read it, and you'll just walk away and say, how on earth did this get in the Bible? Psalm 137. And Jeremiah, who we read from today, he was a prophet during this time period. That 12-year window, that's when we guessed that he wrote from the time Jerusalem was attacked to ultimately it being destroyed. And so I want to remind you, Old Testament prophets were not fortune tellers. They were truth tellers. They spoke the powerful, disruptive call of God's voice in all situations, challenging people to do what is right. And because of that, you can imagine they were not very popular. But Jeremiah was not the only prophet during that time. There was actually another one named Hananiah, and he claimed that the Jews would only be in exile for two years, and the Babylonians would come crumbling down. Now, people like that. These awful, awful people, it's going to be over in two years. It's being busted up. It's falling apart. But telling Jews that might have been popular, but it wouldn't be telling them the truth. True prophets of God are far more concerned with helping people understand that God was, what God was asking of them right then and there. They were more concerned with that than predicting the future. And so in that context, Jeremiah might have been seen as the doom and gloom prophet, but he was telling the truth. I think all of us, whether we can admit it or not, or even if we're even fully aware of it at times, know that we often look back on the good times of our past and we idealize them. There's this cycle that happens in our mind when something bad or frustrating happens in our current situation. Political events of the past few days are probably an excellent test case to remind us when it comes to this. It seems that each week our politicians find another way to embarrass themselves, embarrass our nation, And I don't know about you, but this whole election cycle seems like a long, painful, grueling trudge through depravity and distrust. New lows have been found. Unprecedented levels of lying and disgusting behavior have been placed on display in front of the whole nation. So we just want to wring our hands and be done with it. So in moments like this, it's common to have this desire to go back to the way things were before all of this awfulness, to a time of more civility and better candidates, like ones in the early days that used to challenge each other to duels and shoot each other. (laughs) There are tons of other events that can provoke these types of reactions. Protests over police violence and the rioting that has come with some of them. Maybe it was the economic collapse of 2008. Maybe it is the rise of global terrorism. Or maybe it's a fear that we don't really understand how to handle or deal with refugees or immigrants. Maybe it's the change we've seen in communications of our time. A computer that was as big as a house now is inside a device that we can keep inside our pockets. 
And we can talk to someone on the other side of the world as easy as we can talk to someone next door. Maybe it's reality TV, and you turn it on, you get disgusted with it, and you just want a more simple time. Or the change in music, that's a common one, right? We never like the new music of the next generation. Maybe it's the movies, the products you seem advertised to kids. Let's admit it. It's something that we all do. We long to go back to a time where things seem more simple and less troubling. But the problem is that our frustration with our current situation and longing for a previous time is that we often make the mistake of idealizing that previous time and that previous era in our time of life. So if you're frustrated with a quarterback in the NFL who kneels during the national anthem because you feel it's disrespectful to soldiers and you want to go back to a previous time, when's that era? Is it the Vietnam era when people openly spit on soldiers and called them baby killers? Is it the Civil War when you don't know which side to root for? What's the era? If you're frustrated today with the distrust that we see between races, what era would you return to in our nation's history when the stain of our collective sin of slavery and racism didn't radically harm minorities, even if everything seemed okay? We idealize at times the World War II era or the post-World War II era, when we saw our nation come together as a great evil, But we forget that in this same idealized era, there was still open segregation and mistreatment of minorities. And we, as a nation, rounded up over 100,000 of our own citizens and placed them into internment camps because of their Japanese heritage. So you want to idealize an era? Pick one. Pick one in human history, in U.S. history, because you're going to find there is no ideal. There is no perfect time, because every time you see a city on the hill, there are those suffering because of its shadow. And it's not just our own cultural history we do this to. It's in every other aspect of our lives. We can idealize our childhoods when we compare them to kids today. We can idealize a former job or a former perfect relationship. And in these things create a longing that if we could just get back to that place, that job, that person, that place, that time, that era, that way of living, then everything would be all right. And I know this because every day since developing a chronic health condition, I think like this every single day. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about getting back to that place I was two years ago before my condition started. And I idealize my former life. I would think, oh, I had endless energy, and I had endless enthusiasm, and everything was possible. But it's not true. An image is a figment of my imagination. It's a reconstruction. And trying to recreate who I was and who I wanted to be two years ago is profoundly unhealthy. So all of us, whether they're cultural traumas or personal traumas, we carry these wounds with us. And it's natural. We long for a time before we had them, a time that we idealize and we fantasize about. And so because of that, we're caught in limbo. We're not here, 
And we're not there. We're just between. And so it's that place, that place of not being here and not being there, is where the words of the prophet Jeremiah come to us today. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there in Babylon and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is in its welfare you will find your welfare. So Jeremiah is saying to them, quit fantasizing about returning to Israel. Instead, make the best of what you have. Put down roots, build homes, plant crops. You're going to be here a long time. Have children, have grandchildren. Enjoy life in Babylon and seek its welfare. Can you imagine that? They hated Babylon. Enjoy life there. Pray for it. Invest in it. What God is saying to God's people here is redeem the circumstances you find yourself in. It's about being present here and now. God isn't interested in recreating the past or recreating these idealized fantasies of our past. God is asking us to accept our current state and learn to live faithfully here and now. And these words from Jeremiah, the prophetess, they're not trying to minimize or ignore our pain because we still feel it. There's unchangeable circumstances and heartbreaking losses, chronic diseases and setbacks and letdowns. But instead, it's a refocusing. It's reminding you that all is not lost. There is still faith and hope and love and enough of it in this new reality to have a rich and full life with God. So Jeremiah's message to those ancient Jews would have been a bitter pill to swallow. He wasn't telling them what they wanted to hear, that their enemies would be destroyed and they would return dancing to their promised land. But just because he wasn't telling them what they wanted to hear didn't mean that his message was without hope. His message was full of hope, describing for them a prosperous and joy-filled life with God, even in a foreign land. So Jeremiah's core message for us today is learning to accept the unacceptable, and in that, finding courageous hope. So it's time. It is time to courageously move on. Your old life is dead. It's not coming back anytime soon. And your new life is before you, even if you feel like you are stuck in Babylon. You spend your life, you can spend your life resisting, resenting, or rejecting your circumstances. Or you can spend your energy putting down roots and working to redeem the situations you find yourself in. So maybe it's true. You feel like an alien to the culture around you because of technology, because of immigration, because of new ideas put forward in our culture. And they've made you feel like you no longer know the world around you. 
Gone are the days of Norman Rockwell scenes and postmasters that know everybody's name. Communication has moved from the front porches to telephones, from letters to emails, from cell phones to text messaging, from text message to instant messaging. Neighbors down the street are no longer Methodist, Baptist, or Catholic. They're also Hindu, Muslim, and atheists. Yes, you're going to miss part of the past. But whining and pining about it is not going to make it reappear. Here and now is where you are called. It's time to stop complaining about this imperfect world and just merely putting up with it. It's time to start investing in it, putting down roots, raising children and grandchildren, praying for it, working to make it a better place, working with others to redeem the imperfection around us. So, you're in Babylon whether you like it or not. And you're not going to return to some fictional perfect past. There's no quick fixes to the ills of Babylon. It's like the great Andy Dufresne said in the Shawshank Redemption, I guess it comes down to a simple choice. Get busy living or get busy dying. I guess it comes down to that, learning to make the best of living in Babylon. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks for listening to the Colonial Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. For more information about our faith community, visit us online at chpres.org.